Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. So we're in our um, series, The King's Speech. It's a great series. We're looking through uh, Jesus' message and the Sermon on the Mount, kind of exploring, uh, kind of, kind of living a kingdom life, the foundations for a kingdom life. Uh, so we're just going to go straight into this. Uh, we're starting at verse 13 uh, from Matthew 5. So this is uh, right slap bang in the middle of the, of the message of, of the Sermon on the Mount. So you are the salt of the earth. So he's talking to his disciples, the crowds, and also to us. Okay, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, uh, salt and light. Before we unpack this a little bit, I want to ask you a, a couple of questions. Um, I've had a lot of time this week. I've been at home kind of resting and had my leg elevated. So I had a fantastic time just digging into God's word about this. And it's and really challenged me. And, and I felt that God told me that I should challenge you as well. Is that okay? Is that okay? So I'm going to give you a couple of questions. These are two questions that... Um, I've been asking myself. Um, and the first question is, can I honestly say that I am l- truly living the kingdom life that God has for me to live? Can I honestly say I'm living the kingdom life in all areas? So, you know, in, in every area of my life, do I know um, that I'm living the kingdom life that God wants me to live? That's the first question. I'm going to let that hang for a moment. The second question is, do I even think it's possible to live that kind of kingdom life? Do I think it's possible to live a, a whole kingdom life in all areas, um, you know, uh, where, where life where all my actions, all my speech, and even all my thoughts match up to the standard that Jesus uh, gives us as a kingdom life? Do I think that's possible? If I do think that's possible, if I think that can be done, then what prevents me from doing it? And that's really what I want to unpack today. I want to try and work out, okay, what is it that stops me from living that whole kingdom life? I think if I'm honest, and maybe if we're all honest today, we would probably say there are areas that are a little bit short. You know, we have a little bit of a compartmentalized life, a life in different boxes. So on one hand, we've got uh, these boxes that, you know, we think, oh, these are good boxes. I can have a look at these. This is my going to church box. That's all good. I go to church. And this is my reading the Bible box. I read my Bible every day. Um, I, you know, uh, treat my family well. This is another good box. There we go. We can all have a look at that one. But then over here, I've got some other boxes in my life that oh, I don't really like to open up too often. You know, I wonder what those boxes are for you. You know, maybe... Uh, actually somebody between the services told me um, he's a grown man he said I I almost got into a fight this week he said I can't believe I did that maybe you know losing a temper maybe that's one of your boxes 
Maybe looking at things that you know you shouldn't look at. That's a little box that we just like to keep, keep closed. Maybe it's what Fru said. You haven't forgiven yourself. You know we've forgiven, but we've hold on to those hurts. Because sometimes those, that pain that we hold on to can be quite comfortable. And we think, I'm just going to keep that in a box. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to close that lid. And so we have these various aspects of our life that, um, you know, where some things are good and we think that's great. And maybe we look at the balance and we think, oh, I've got more good boxes than bad boxes, so I'm doing okay. Or maybe worse, we look at, we look at these boxes over here and we say, oh, my boxes might be bad, but actually compared to their boxes, oh, they're bad, but I wouldn't want to be them because their bad boxes are much worse. So I'm doing okay on the great scheme of things. You know, maybe the things I've kept in my box, oh, it doesn't look quite as bad. Maybe we have our salvation box. We have our box, you know, this is a good box here. I know that God saved me. He's given me a new life. He's given me an eternity. So I'm looking forward to that day when I'm going to be with him in heaven because I've given my life to Jesus and I can open that box and in it I hear, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And I think that's great. I like to hear that. But on this side, I open up one of those little boxes and I hear, this is the road to hell. Oh no, I don't want to keep that one. Oh, ham that one shut. I don't, want to, I don't want to really take any notice of that one. Okay, so we've got these, these boxes. Jesus' message throughout the Gospels, and actually particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, should challenge that way of living. It really should. It should challenge that whole idea of having compartments in our life. Uh, Jesus te- you know, he teaches about living a whole kingdom life right now. This is not about just waiting for heaven. Okay, that's great, that's assured. But there's a kingdom life that we are called to live now. And this is what he's talking about in the sermon. And if I know anything about a kingdom life, it's that it's a, a, a unified life. It's a whole life. It's a life of integrity. Now that word integrity, is, uh, it's not a complicated word really. It actually comes from a maths word, integer, which means whole number. Okay? It's a, a whole life. A life that doesn't have sections, doesn't have parts that... Are not, that are not visible, that are hidden. We want to have a life of integrity. And this is the life we were created for. And you know what? I think it is possible for every one of us to live a unified life, a whole life. And we're going to look at what it takes for us to do that today. Today's message that I'm going to give you is a little bit of a challenging message. Okay? It's not one of these messages where I'm going to make you laugh a lot. I know I sometimes do those. I'm not going to be telling lots of jokes. It's a message that challenged me. And I felt God say, make the challenge. So I hope that's okay. Is that okay? Some of you said yes, that's good. I'm going to take that. All right. So it's, how do we do this? Well, it starts with the right foundation. This is what Mark was trying to put across, across last week in his message. Uh, the importance of getting the correct foundation in place. Now, throughout this series, obviously we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what we're unpacking, but there's a, an underlying verse that we're using for the whole series that's actually taken from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, um, and it starts like this. Uh, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there it is. That's our initial foundation, Jesus 
Christ. Yeah, putting him first, putting him front and center. It's pretty clear. We put him first and then we start to build on that. Each one should build with care. And I think this verse, it speaks to us of our salvation. It speaks to us of that moment when we invite Jesus into our lives. I know most of us have done that. He tells us in Romans, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, that's the starting point. That's the foundation and it's, and it's, and it's set. Um, and that's, the, I guess, the first step to a kingdom life is making that decision. I think most of us have done that. Maybe you're sitting there and you don't think you've done that. Well, actually, at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put that right because that's the best, thing, the best decision you can make. And we'll do that a bit later. There is a house nearby to where uh, we live uh, in Petswood. And this house, about 10 years ago, started work on an extension. Okay? They dug all the ditches around their property and they filled the ditches with concrete. Okay? They put concrete in there and then nothing. Okay? And it's been, it's been about 10 years and kind of walk past this house quite regularly and the foundation is there, but they've never, done. I don't know why, or whether they ran out of money or changed their minds or, or what, but the foundations is there. And as I walk past, I can look at those foundations and go, that is a good foundation right there. That is nice and solid. That is stable. That's good and strong. That's going to hold a building. But there's no building on it. It's just a foundation. It's just the start. They haven't gone to the next uh, stage. There's more that needs to happen. You have to start laying bricks on the foundation. Um, so you gave your life to Jesus, your eternity set, but actually there's some building that has to be done. And if we carry on reading from Corinthians, we read uh, what Paul says next. He said, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So let's unpack this a little bit. The foundation is set, it's solid, it's level and um, it's, it's ready for the building. But then comes the act of building. And you know if, you're, if you've ever seen a building kind of go up, maybe if you've had an extension yourself or seen a building site, you know the foundation is there and then the actual building starts below the ground. They start building the walls below the level of the ground. And so actually almost the walls themselves, those first few bits, are also operating as kind of a foundation. But these are the bits that can't be seen. Now if the builder was to say, well, these built bricks can't be seen, so I'm just going to use I don't know, uh, inferior quality bricks because nobody can see them. Obviously, we know that's not going to work because you're building stuff on top of that. And I think that's a bit bit like our compartments, isn't it? We think, well, actually, nobody needs to see this compartment, so it doesn't really matter what I keep in it. It doesn't really matter what I hold in this box because I don't intend to show anybody anyway. But we know that those things that are unseen, they do affect the things that are seen. And if, the, if those initial bricks, if those unseen bricks are not solid, if they're not the right material, then it's going to affect the whole structure. It really affects the whole structure. So we get to choose the quality of the, the materials that we're using. Are we going to build with, what does it say, gold, silver, costly stones? Or are we going to build with wood, hay, or straw? And this reminded me a little bit of the 
story of the three little pigs. Yeah, I know you were already there, weren't you, in your mind? You were already there. Okay, the three little pigs, what do they do? They decide to make their way in the world. The first little pig, he wants to do it quickly. He finds some hay, some straw, and he starts to stack with these hay bales, and in no time at all, he's got himself a nice, comfortable house. Really comfy, and he starts to relax. The second little pig, he finds some sticks. It takes him a bit longer because he's got some sawing to do, he's got to do some hammering, but again, in no time at all, what has he got? He's got a nice comfortable house just up the road from the guy with the straw and then the little pig he thinks oh, I'm not going to do that he goes and he has to buy bricks because you're not going to find bricks lying around he has to buy them it you know, costs a bit of money he then has to dig foundations because bricks are heavy you can't just put them on the earth so he's got to put his foundation in and it takes days it takes weeks it takes months and every so often he looks over at the other two little pigs and he thinks oh man you guys have it so easy and he's a little bit envious but he thinks no I'm going to keep going keep building with the right material we all know what happens, right? We all know that the big bad wolf comes along and he huffs and he puffs and the house of straw collapses, the house of sticks collapses and the house of bricks stands and then they all join together singing, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? And we're going to sing that in just a moment <laughs> together. No, we're not. No, I'm joking. Uh, so how great is this analogy? Okay, how great is this? Who knew that the three little pigs was a kingdom principle? Okay, it's right there. It's in your Bibles. Read it. Um, the, the testing is going to come. The big bad wolf is going to huff and he's going to puff, okay? Whether you've built your house with straw or whether you've built it with the right material, it's going to be tested. Even the things that you think are hidden, those boxes that you don't open, it's going to be tested. And when your life is tested, because you've got these other boxes, because your life is not unified, the whole thing just will come crashing down. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's when. So we want to live a unified, whole life of integrity. So how does this lead us then uh, from the three little pigs to the Sermon on the Mount, okay, to the King's Speech? Well, I guess we need to know how to build our lives in a way that's going to survive, that's going to last. And I think that's what we can learn from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, Mark uh, took us through the Beatitudes, the first, few, uh, the first few verses, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are all those. And, and he went, you know, he compared the kingdom life to a, um, a, a life that's not kingdom, he, you know, what's conventional worldly wisdom. And, he's, and Jesus says things like, you have heard it said, such and such, don't murder, don't commit adultery, da, 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 and so on. You have heard it said this, but I tell you, don't get angry. Don't look at somebody lustfully. I, take, I tell you this, this is, this, you've heard it this, this is okay, but actually, kingdom life, it's, it's actually different from, from what you think you know. And Jesus makes the challenge uh, to all the, you know, to the disciples and the crowds, he makes the challenge. And that's what I want to do today. Let's see what we can learn. So it starts off then. You are the salt of the earth. And um, this message has been preached a lot. I've heard it many, many times, right? And, and often a preacher who's preaching about salt will take um, what salt is and what salt does and then apply it to a kingdom life. So he'll say, well, salt is a flavoring. It's a seasoning. And therefore, a kingdom life flavors uh, society. It fl- flavors the world that you're in. So if you're living a salty life, you should flavor it. And they say things like, well, salt is a preservative. So if you're living a a salty kingdom life, then you should be a preservative against moral decay in society. And they say things like, well, salt is a fertilizer. 
And so actually, wherever you are with your salty kingdom life, it should uh, leave space for spiritual growth. It should encourage spiritual growth. And they say, well, salt is an antiseptic. You know, salt, it, it cleans, it cleanses. And your life should cleanse. And I think all that's well and good. I mean, I've heard it taken a little bit too far. I've heard it. Some preachers say, well, salt is is white and white is a symbol of purity therefore we are pure Um, okay or salt it melts ice so we should melt the ice of people's hearts and and it's a stretch but okay uh, so I probably don't go quite that far but actually on the whole I would go with with all those things yeah these are what it means to be to live a salty kingdom life but I want to delve deeper today I want to go actually how do we live that life how is it possible for us to live a salt. We don't want to lose our saltiness. How can we do that? So we're going to look at this a little bit. And as I was thinking about this, uh, I was thinking, well, you know, what would I say a salty life consists of? And for me, I think it's really simple. Okay, here we go. I think being salt of the earth means living a life that is submitted wholly to the Holy Spirit. Living a life fully and wholly submitted to the will and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to live a kingdom life, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Okay, We can't deal with those boxes by ourselves. We think we can. And we think, oh, if I just deal with this area, if I just stop doing it, I'll just stop doing it. Without actually giving Holy Spirit control, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We have to bring our life in line with the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that when we laid that initial foundation, when we invited Jesus to live in our hearts, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He put the Holy Spirit in each of us to enable us to live the life that he calls us to live. So he's not just saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. You know, this is the way, you, this is what you have to do. He's saying, this is the measure. This is how you live your life. And this is how. I'm going to show you how. And in fact, I'm going to help you with it. And we can do this. I know this is a challenging message, but it should also be an encouraging message. This should encourage you because you have the means at your disposal to deal with some of those boxes, to deal with all of those boxes. The Holy Spirit, he comes into our life and what does he do? He helps us. He helps us choose the right material. He, he cuts and he chisels away at the bricks that aren't the right shape. He makes sure that we're aligned to the foundation. That's the Holy Spirit's job in us. If we will let him, if we will allow him, if we will submit our lives uh, to him, he transforms us and he allows us and he causes us to be those people who will be seasoning, who will be a preservative, who will be cleansing to those people we come into contact with. But we can only do it when we're living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This only happens as we submit our whole life, the whole thing, integrity, as we submit our whole life to the Holy Spirit in us. And I think this is an important thing to do because it also tells us to be light of the world, doesn't it? And and I think the order is not an accident. I think we can't hope to be an effective light of the world until we become salt of the earth. Until we've got a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-controlled life in place, we're not going to be effective light of the world because what we'll do is we'll show light from one of our boxes, from one of our compartments. We'll just be a, a portion of light and we'll hide these, these darker boxes because we don't want people to see that. 
And the light is just not going to be what it needs to be. The light is not going to be showing from a full, whole, with God life. And I think, you know, when we try and do it, I think people see it. And this is why I think Christians, I'm talking about Christians generally, we have a little bit of a bad rap. And the word hypocrite comes up a lot in the media because they see this. They see this mixed life. They say, oh, you're showing me this life, but actually, well, you're not showing me this. You know, it's not, it's not whole. And is, is our lives any different? Is it any different, really, to, to those who we're trying to reach? And if you look at the facts and the statistics, you know, do we do any better as, as Christ followers in the area of debt, in the area of consumerism, in the area of, of lust, in the area of losing our temper? Do we do better in these areas? Or do we just try and show little bits of our life, the light, you know, a little bit of light here, without showing the whole thing? We're called to be light of the world. And we're only going to be that do that when our life is unified, when we are truly salt of the earth. And I think if we're a little bit honest, you know, we know what we believe in, right? We know what we believe. We know what's right. We can read it and we have all that information. Um, and if we're honest, I think we would probably say, you know, we believe a whole lot more than we actually operate in. We believe that we can live free from debt. We believe that we can live free from, from lust. We, we believe that we can live free from losing our temper. We, we, you know, we, we, we believe all those things. And yet, we want to we, we live that life. But yet, sometimes we don't operate in those things. So do we want to be salty? I think we do. We want to be salty because actually what the Bible says is when, it loses, when you lose your saltiness, actually it's worthless. You're just going to be thrown out and trampled. And we want an effective life. We want to be effective uh, on the mission that we have. This week, uh, we know, if you've been watching the news, the various political parties have been releasing their manifestos, their little books that tell them you know, what they're going to do if they get elected. And, and what happens as soon as a political party releases its, its manifesto, the other political parties immediately go on the offensive, don't they? They say, well, this is what you say you're going to do, but how are you? you don't say how you're going to do it. You can't do it. You've left a, what do they call it, a black hole in your books, okay? You can't afford it. You're going to just take from the poor and give it to the rich, or you're going you're to bleed the country dry. And there's no, you know, you, you say you're going to do these things, but you're not saying how you're going to do it. And I was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a little bit like a manifesto for a kingdom life. It's a little bit like Jesus' manifesto. This is, this is how you do it. You think this, but actually I tell you this, but it's not full of holes. Because he also tells us how to do it. He said the way to do it. And he also gives us the means by which it's possible to do it. And that's through living this Holy Spirit life. And this is clear throughout the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. This Holy Spirit is present. And it's a thread that runs all the way through. That without the Holy Spirit's presence and guidance, we know that life is not going to happen. When we try to make it happen, then we're going to end up failing and we're going to be disappointed. And it starts, with a, it starts with a desire in us, a desire to make, to make the right choice, a desire for the Holy Spirit to take control. And last week, looking at the Beatitudes, uh, one of them really jumped out at me as Mark was talking last week. And the one that jumped out was the one that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
What does it say? It says, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So that's talking about a desire, having a desire, hunger and thirst. And I was thinking, well, why does it say hunger and thirst? He could have just used any one of those. He could have said, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. We would have got the picture, right? We're not, we're not daft. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Why does he say hunger and thirst? I think actually, well, there's, there's got to be some meaning in that. And there's, a, um, there's another passage in Scripture that I'm just going to finish by unpacking a little bit. We find it in John 4, where Jesus uses both these analogies, thirst and hunger, to explain some points that I think will bring clarity uh, to having this desire. So what's happening? Jesus is walking um, uh, through Samaria. He comes to a well where he stops. The disciples go on ahead. They want to go and buy some food. And he stays at the well. It's the middle of the day. And a woman comes to the well to draw some water. And Jesus says to the woman, he says, please give me a drink. Please give me a drink. To which the woman replies, "Uh, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God. That's interesting. The gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What is that? Jesus offers her living water. He offers her the Holy Spirit. And she says, Yes, please, give me that. And he says, go and get your husband. It's almost like he goes on a a different track there. But he's not. You see, she's talking about water, drinking water. And Jesus knows, actually, the thing that you thirst for, really, is men, is is husbands. You get your value from, from men. So he brings it right back and says, this is your thirst. This is your thirst. But if you ask me... I will give you something that will quench that thirst. You won't have to keep going back to what you keep doing because I've got something better that will help quench that thirst. And this got me thinking about my life. Okay, what, what are the thirsts in my life? And maybe we could all ask ourselves, what is the thirst in my life that I'm not quenching with the Holy Spirit, that I'm trying to quench with other things? And maybe I've done it five times. Five husbands she's had. And it's not, it's not fulfilling. It's not working. Jesus would say, I've got something that will help you with that. I've got something that will help you with that thirst. So that's the thirst. These thirsts, they cause us to live a less than kingdom life. They cause us to have these separate boxes our compartments that we don't that we keep shut but the Holy Spirit will satisfy those thirsts if you let him if you bring him into your whole life so that's the thirst what about the hunger 
Well, the passage goes on. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asks, what do you want? Or what are you talking with her? Well, why are you talking with her? Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So Jesus is saying, you're focused on a meal. I'm focused on the mission. You're focused on food. I'm focused on doing my Father's will. You're focused on satisfying your hunger. I'm saying the only thing that will satisfy that deep hunger within you is to do the mission that you've been given. And again, this is my challenge today. How much are we focusing on the mission that God has given us? How much brain space, how much time do we give? I I read something challenging this week. Again, it said, um, if God said to you this evening, I'm going to answer all the prayers you've made over the last week, how many new people would there be in the kingdom tonight because of it? Maybe, like me, you sometimes have quite small (laughs) prayers and you know, God, bless me. God, keep me safe. Bless my day. Make me productive. God, make the sun shine. <laughs> you know? Uh, actually, what's really on our heart? What's really, what's really in us to see God doing? Are we really praying those prayers for the harvest? Are we really going out and making the mission be the thing that sustains us rather than earthly food? and those other things. So, what about if we really caught this, if we did those two things, if we started to thirst for the Holy Spirit, if we allowed the Holy Spirit to shape us, to guide us, to build us, transformed us into a kingdom-shaped building with gold, silver, and costly stones, if we gave the Holy Spirit permission to do a work on us. And secondly, what about if we really hungered for the mission of God? really hungered for the harvest the mission of God the fields are ripe ripe for the harvest pray for workers this should be our reason I'm going to finish right now but I'm not going to leave it there because we know that that information which is what I've been giving you without application doesn't lead to any transformation okay so we need to apply this and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to make a prayer And I'm going to pray two things, essentially. I'm going to pray um, that God, that the Holy Spirit has control. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit permission to have control over all areas of my life, everything. I want a unified life. Because what what did Jesus say to the woman? He said, all you have to do is ask, and I will give you. I will give you living water. I will stop you thirsting. I will help you with that thirst. I will help you with that thing. You just have to ask. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to ask for me and for you if you want want me to. And we can do this together. And the second thing I'm going to pray is for opportunities and for boldness. Opportunity to to, uh, speak words of life into people's life, to reach the harvest, to do the mission of God 
and for boldness. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit will help us with that as well. If you want to pray this prayer with me, then stand. Don't stand just because other people are standing, but stand because actually we're going we're gonna to draw a line in the sand today. We're going to say, actually, so far, no further. It's time to get rid of these boxes, this compartmentalized life, and it's time to have a unified life. And the only way to do that is to ask the Holy Spirit to step in. So if you want to pray that with me, then stand now. I'm going to make a prayer. Let's just close our eyes. Lord God, Lord God, we need you. We need you. You've given us purpose in life. You've given us a mission, God. You've given us a standard that gives us, that gives us hope and gives hope to the world around us that causes us to be light. And we haven't always lived that standard. Lord, you say you give grace to the humble. Well, in all humility now, God, we ask you to give us the Holy Spirit in all our areas, God, to help us to live a unified life. Lord, we're sorry for all those things that we've held on to, those thirsts, that have, uh, that, those hungers that have not been your will, God. And we ask for help in dealing with them. We know it's not just a one-time prayer thing and then we go on our merry way, God. But Lord, we commit to this path, this new path, this new journey with your Holy Spirit in control, your Holy Spirit filling us and directing us, guiding us and transforming us to be salt of the earth and then to be light to the world. In your name we pray. Amen.